1: And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, crisis management, resiliency, disaster planning, and anything that's relatable to those topics and more. A couple of announcements. If there is a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free to send me an email on the main page for the show on the VoiceAmerica.com site. There is a button underneath the graphic. Send the host an email um, or something along that line. You can always send me a note. I do respond to everything and we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone else to talk about your topic. Same thing goes, if you'd like to do any promotion on the show or adverts, send me a note the same way, and we'll get back to you. A reminder for those that uh, have been listening for a while, I will be in Seoul, Korea, uh, for the Teams conference, November 12th to 15th, and it looks like I'm going to be attending the Continuity Insights conference in April 2020 in San Antonio. So if you see me walking around with a tape recorder, please feel free to come up and give me a chat. Today's show is brought to us by the people at boastassessment.com, B-O-A-S-T, assessment.com, and their self-assessment tool that allows you to track your program progress. Check them out. Now, long-term listeners know that I'm an avid reader. I get books on all kinds of things, especially related to um, disasters and business continuity and different ways of looking at those subjects, and today is no different. I came across a book uh, not that long ago, and it was full of uh, lots of good advice and information. I thought, you know what, I'm going to find this author as well. So I want to welcome to the show Dr. Michael C. Redmond. Dr. Michael, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so very much, Alex. I appreciate your inviting me.
1: And congratulations on the book, Mastering Business Continuity Management. It came out last year, correct?
2: It came out the end of the year, and I'm very excited. It's actually being sold in 20 different countries now.
1: Oh, well, good for you. Congratulations. Thank you. But before we get started into the book and some of the topics that we'll touch on today, can you give our listeners a little bit of a biography on yourself, You know who you are and how you got to where you are today?
2: Sure. Uh, I started uh, out actually in the military uh, dealing with a different type of disasters, different type of crisis management events that were happening. Uh, and then from there, the uh, moved a little bit into emergency management because the uh, PX down the block from a supposed exchange had a bomb, car bomb go off, and uh, eight people were killed. And when we came home uh, about two blocks away... Uh, All of the windows had exploded out of the building that I lived in. And we got into the house. My makeup was all over the place. And my daughter said to me, Mommy, this is too much for Mother to Bear. You Mm -hmm. go have a cup of coffee and I'll clean it up. She was five years old. And I sat there that day and I said, there has to be some field, something that's out there that deals with these things. I just wish I knew what it was. And luckily, I was able to... uh, When I came out of the military, I was working for Bank of New York, and the head of contingency planning approached me and said, would you like to work in our department? I said, well, what is it? She said, it's what you've been doing. (laughs) I said, okay. (laughs) We just had different words for it. So uh, that's how I got into the field and why the field is so important to me. I think one of the things... uh, I'm, when I was just starting out, one of the things I was most proud of is all 20 companies that I worked on, clients that I had in the World Trade Center, were able to recover with at least the business aspect of it within 24 hours, using the techniques and plans that we had put together for their companies. And it's, it's, uh, I've worked on uh, business continuity issues in uh, different parts of the world. I've been in uh, South Africa, in Asia. Uh, in different parts of Africa, different parts of Europe. And I find that it is a must. It's something that uh, organizations cannot do without.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree completely. I'm glad you're here on the show. I know you've got all kinds of uh, experiences, um, and you can tell from uh, your book. So let's jump into what you uh, started writing about here. And you mentioned something in the beginning of the book that – I've promoted on the show before because it's my other, um, I don't want to say passion, but it's something else I do in my, in my daily job, and that is project management. So why is project management knowledge important to those working in, in business continuity management?
2: It's extremely important. What happens is many of the uh, business continuity planning uh, projects fail. They're underfunded. They don't have the right personnel. They haven't decided even what the scenario is. So part of the organization is working on uh, one scenario, such as the data center is inoperable and everybody else is in running. and the other people are working on, oh, well, what if we just lose the entire building? So they're coming up with different risk assessments, different impacts. So mm-hmm. Having someone say, hey, this is what we're going to are going to project management. This is the project. This is going to be on our steering committee. This is who's going to advise us. This is what we agree on. This is the framework we're using. This is the, the um, process we're going to be doing. This is how we're going to be funding it. Are we going to be uh, paying people to work overtime? Are we not going to be paying people overtime? Are we going to bring our consultants in? You know, what's our, what is our project schedule? When do we have to be finished? When are we going to update and what has to be finished by when? What phases of the business continuity planning process have to be done so that a, an organization may spend two years on risk evaluation and never get to anything that's a, a documented plan mm-hmm. without having without having project management in place, you know. they. And it's important that they understand they have a project coordinator, advisory committee, so they know what their mission is, what their vision is of the organization, and they can follow that through to be able to help the organization uh, recover in the event of a disaster and, more importantly, mitigate ahead of time to help Mm -hmm. uh, limit the amount of impact. So I think it's extremely important.
1: What part of project management do you think is, you know, for for BCM professionals that are out there right now that might just kind of shrug at, oh, yeah, project management, whatever, Mm -hmm. What do you think is the key part of that that they need to really grasp right away?
2: Uh, I'd say there's two answers to that. The first one is the budget that they're going to have to have and understand how that's going to be put together, and understanding what the priorities are to uh, uh, to be planning so that they understand the phases of business continuity management and what phases they're copying. and also. If they're following a standard, what standard are they following? Now, whether you're using DR, Disaster Recovery Institute, Business Continuity Institute, ISO 22301, they all have a different approach, but it doesn't mean that one approach is better than the other as long as mm-hmm. they wind up in the same area. But understanding that and being able to communicate that, I think, is the most important part of the project management. So in summary, it's uh, understanding the phases of project of of the business continuity process, being able to fund it, understand the risk to the project itself, what might stop it, and mm-hmm. understanding uh, how to communicate that to personnel, and to also set the uh, the timeframes. I think the timeframes are extremely important.
1: Well, that's the uh, the triple constraint, right? I think that I think yes. they still use that that uh, terminology. They do, yes, yes, uh,
2: that's right, that's right. You know, budget, scope, schedule, and time, and risk. Absolutely. Yeah. Those yeah. Three main areas:
1: I think a lot of people get confused when they hear risk, they think of automatically the risk assessment. They don't mm-hmm. look at it, know the risks that are, are against um, working that could be working against you as you try to move forward.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. but they, even within the organization itself, mm-hmm. especially organizations that are international that are trying to uh, do planning around the world with different time frames different languages, Uh, taking all of that into consideration is a uh, part of project planning, project management.
1: Yeah, something, you know, like I've said uh, on this show many times before, it's something I think everyone in BCM or disaster planning or whatever moniker you want to use need Mm -hmm. to understand the basics to help get your program uh, either rebranded, start again or start from scratch or you know, keep it maintained well.
2: Absolutely. And and it is about, you know, understanding the best practices, you know, the the industry codes, the policies, the regulations that that this project has to meet.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So let's move on to the next next piece. Um I guess it's kind of a little bit of project management here. Uh how do we determine the scope of our BCM programs?
2: You know, that, that's an interesting thing. I've come into organizations that have so many different uh, scope that they're covering, or uh, it's too large or it's too small. And one of the things that I've done is I've broken it out into five different scenarios that I tend to, I've been using my entire career, and I have found that for the most part, it covers the scope, although I've added in the sixth one now. Uh, but you know, the first one is, what if the data center is inoperable, but everything else is up and running? You know, and scenario two, you know, with data centers inoperable, but everything else is up and running. uh, You know, it it used to be enough, but today we have to say, what if the um, data, you know, is is you know is corrupted? How far Mm -hmm. back can we go, and how do we deal with that situation? Uh, There was a a company that uh, found out their last six months of backups were corrupted, and they didn't have a seventh month of backups. So all of that is critical, you know, to consider uh, everything that's inoperable except for the data center. You know, the data center is running, but everything else is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, facility fine, but the employees can't access the building. We see that in strikes around the world all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, utilities are down. You know, the utilities are down, uh, but you're in the building. Well, people say oh, that's fine. If the utilities are down. We'll make it. We have backup generator. We have this. We have that. What they forget is that depending on OSHA, depending on the states. If um, the hygiene if the some of the facilities are not working such as latrines and such, no one is allowed to be in the building after a certain period of time if it 's over a certain floor, so these that's are true. things that actually have to yeah they have to be considered uh, you know and the last one I do is the entire facility is unavailable, including both the business and the i t areas and we 've seen that you know that 's what happened with uh, uh, Katrina, you know, as an old one, that's what's happened recently to uh, many organizations where uh, the entire, they just couldn't get into the building at all. The, both the building uh, and their IT areas were lost, you know, and if they didn't have a hot site, if they had not had their, uh, you know, data offsite, most people have, having an, a, a hot site that can support that amount of people. And people say, well, that's okay. We'll just work at home. Do they have the bandwidth to do that? Do they have security mm-hmm. that allows them to work on home computers? Today, with uh, firewalls and with DMZs and everything else within the security area, uh, It's many organizations only have it set up for their own uh, network internally. And if people are working at home, they don't have that support unless it's been set up ahead of time for them to be able to Uh, Securely remote in many organizations don't have that, especially internationally. They don't have the bandwidth.
1: That's right. It's uh, interesting because that related a lot a few years ago um, with the pandemic, you know, the H1N1 when there was a lot of planning around that. That was a big topic. We'll just send everybody home. Yeah, but can you do it? it That
2: becomes a key area.
1: Yeah. And the the other key item um, I noticed you mentioned was the uh, utilities being down. Um, In my much younger days, I worked in the uh, restaurant hospitality industry. And as soon as the water went out, we weren't allowed to let any other customers in the restaurant. And half the time we couldn't even finish the orders we had because there was no running water. So you weren't allowed to continue operations.
2: You know, I had done planning for one client uh, and because they were over the number of floors that they had to um, uh, leave the building because, you know, you couldn't be having people walk up 26 flights of stairs, you know, mm-hmm. if you didn't have latrine facilities. As part of our planning, and I know this sounds a little odd, but as part of our planning, we had large bottles of water in every latrine with instructions on how to uh, use that those, you know, large things to be able to uh, fill a pot and essentially like the people did at home, you know, they filled a pot and they would throw them down the uh, the toilets and such and the building was able to stay open uh, for the entire week because of that, because they had everything all set up where their um, even though that facility was down where their colleagues all had to go home Wow. So, <laughs> so it, was, it was an interesting thing because water was now in scarce supply, et cetera. And this was, you know, it didn't have to be good water there. You know, you could buy the uh, uh, recycled water and such. You know, it just had to be able to be used, and we had all of that set up ahead of time. Um, you know, obviously it was, it was a, uh, fortunately they only had to do it for a day or two, you know, but the point was every their their other uh, neighboring buildings were closed. <laughs>
1: it's interesting some of the uh, different contingencies that can come up you know in a in a building that big i wouldn't have thought of having um, bottles of water or big jugs of water um in you know the the uh, washrooms
2: well we had you know as i said we wasn't you know this one particular one wasn't a uh, fortunately it wasn't that large you know it wasn't it wasn't a 26 floor building because that's going kind to of get another oh, thing built. but, okay. still, but i said it was it was over that's why the laws became in place if you're know, over a certain floor
0: Mm, because they don't I do people
2: walk, they don't want people walking over the the uh, flights where I know we were in uh, there have been situations where if it's under a certain amount of floors, the first few floors can stay with the understanding they can go to local restaurants or whatever nearby, which is actually a terrible thing to consider for businesses and you know this is something that a lot of the risk assessments weren't covering because it's not proper it's you know you're not talking about something that's comfortable for people to be discussing
1: right right.
2: And, and, and unfortunately, a lot of the risk assessments are not comfortable. You know, what if you lose your data? What if someone is, uh, what if your, you know, your cybersecurity people are doing what they're supposed to do? But can you mm-hmm. still continue the business? Yeah. You know, what are you doing when there's been ransomware, when there's been this? I mean, um, look at what just happened in uh, the city of Baltimore. They were out for a week for the second time because of ransomware. Second time in two years. And they had just put together a huge budget to be able to upgrade their infrastructure, but no one had put together uh, plans on what do we, how do we, if this has happened, you know, how do we get access to our data? How do we recover? How do we keep the city running?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, if
2: if, the, if if our if our main, you know, we've had ransom of our servers, but you know, we still have data backup, et cetera, How do we manage that? There are many companies that have been ransomed and have still been able to. Managed because their business continuity management plan took this into consideration. So the scopes are changing to include cyber. I would say that is the sixth scenario now.
1: That's the sixth one. Okay, well, we've, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking today with business continuity management expert and author, Dr. Michael Redmond, and her book, Mastering Business Continuity Management. We'll be right back.
3: The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Attention. If you are a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
2: Beauty is always a reflection of how we are taking care of ourselves from the inside, and our business is no different. Building your business brand is a direct reflection of you. In today's competitive landscape, personal and proven leadership skills can ensure that our brands and businesses succeed. Join host Bonnie Bonadeo and visionary guest experts to help you find success. Tune in to beautiful brands inside and out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the
3: Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
0: You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone road.com. Again, that's info at stone road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected. And welcome back to
1: the show. Today we're talking with business continuity management expert and author Dr. Michael C. Redmond and her book, Mastering Business Continuity Management. Doctor, um, in the first segment, just at the end there, you started to talk about some risk assessments and you know risk analysis. Can we? Can you tell us more about that? You know, what is that, and why is it important?
2: Yeah, let's let's go through the difference between a risk analysis. You know, is identifying the most probable threats to the organization. And it's analyzing the related vulnerabilities of the organization to these threats. In other words, if you have a, uh, the threat might be a hurricane. Well, if you happen to know that your windows are, uh, you know, right facing the water, which is, you know, that's going to be a vulnerability. Uh, you know, part of that was uh, Sandy. You know, uh, mm-hmm. one of the major banks on uh, Wall Street was out for nine months just because they hadn't pre-planned about the wind and such with their windows and uh, there was so much water damage that they were not allowed back in their building for nine months. So a risk assessment involves evaluating the existing security and controls that are already in place. You know, the existing uh, uh, plans are in place and assessing the adequacy for the potential threat to the organization. So, in other words, every year you have to do your risk assessment again.
0: We're doing Mm -hmm. a risk
2: analysis. So, We mentioned that before about the scenario. There's a sixth scenario now with cyber. We didn't have that years ago. You know, you didn't have to worry about that. But today, as part of the risk analysis, that's a new risk. You know, we mentioned about loss of water, loss of, you know, different areas uh, that have come up. And, and so the risk analysis is coming up with so many new possible threats. What else could happen? What else could happen? How could that affect us? And then, again, the risk assessment is looking at what you currently have in place and saying, does it work? You know, what do we need to do? So it's a two-step process there. You know, and, and it's interesting because the, um, the risk assessment has to consider things such as cyber threats, man-made disasters, natural disasters, uh you know your supply chain mm-hmm. uh you know you you may have a widget coming in from uh an area that can't get there perhaps they uh, uh there we had that in the last few years where people were having parts and such delivered from overseas mm-hmm. and they uh, uh the pirates were coming, which was you know a, something we hadn't planned on in the past, you know where all of a sudden there were pirates stealing. Uh, you know, attacking the boats, et cetera, et cetera, and we hadn't used that term um, many years ago, and then all of a sudden it was becoming again. They were. They were coming up and stealing the supplies and such, and people were losing it. So they had to learn to have multiple uh, vendors, multiple supplies, and uh, making sure that they had the uh, looking at some of the natural hazards that could happen, Uh, human-caused events. Some of them are, unfortunately, uh, intentional, and some of Mm -hmm. them are accidental. And, and, you know, also, what's interesting on the risk assessment today, people are also looking at compliance factors because uh, there have been organizations that have been closed for not being compliant for business continuity and disaster recovery, especially in the financial industry. So I, I know one for a fact years ago uh, i won 't say which which bank doesn 't matter they 're not in existence anymore, at least in the states or not. Uh, they had called me and asked if I had a risk assessment that someone else had done that they could uh take because probably everybody has the same risk if you 're a bank well that 's not true
1: that 's not true
2: and uh, i said well we i, I won 't provide that to you no we won 't do that and uh they got somebody else's and they presented that as their risk assessment, and they were closed. They were given six months by the feds to get everything right, and this is what they presented at the end of that six months. And they had to, uh, they closed them, and they're not in the States anymore. It was an overseas bank. Wow. So very, very important to make sure that you're not just saying it's done, but, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, I, the time frames, you know, when do you have to mm-hmm. be coming back up? You know, the organization, if you're a hospital, health minutes are essential. For a trading firm, minutes are essential. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a store, well, you might be able to go. You know, if I go, if Macy's is closed today, and even I can't get online, you know, I may go to uh, Neiman Marcus online today, but I'll come back to Macy's tomorrow. You know, I'm not going to leave because I can't get in for 24 hours, but if I can't get in for a while, and, or... Uh, interesting, you know, we did a risk assessment for Macy's years ago, and I, I can tell you one of the key risks that we identified at the time uh, was I was consulting for them, and I can say it now because it's many years later. Uh, one of the risks that we came up with was if they lost uh, the list of people that had sent gifts to different weddings from the sure. wedding registries. That was a huge risk for them. Because that was one of the main uh, profitable areas for that department store and others. And so it's an interesting thing. You wouldn't have thought that for an average industry, you know, but it, each one has their own, uh, you know, with, and also what's the risk to operations? What can they function? You know, what if people can't get to work? Is that a liability? Is that considered a risk?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, so these are these are the type of questions that uh, need to be. You know, thinking I mean there's no reason every year to go back from scratch. They can certainly look at what they did the year before and re identify what's what's an addition. Mm-hmm. And are and are these still vulnerabilities or have we mitigated them? Maybe some can be taken off.
1: So how do we go about doing this? Because it sounds like you know, if we're starting from scratch, it sounds like a lot of what ifs. So who needs to be involved with that? Because you could get people coming up with really bizarre you know things. How, how do you <laughs> sure. how do you put a fence around that to really identify, you know, legitimate potential risks and not bizarre fantasies and who should be well, in the this, room or participating is, in it?
2: This is where governance comes in. Also, you know, senior management should be looking uh, at uh, some giving some direction on uh, what their main concerns are, you know, and, and such. Within that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there there are certainly some great tools to be able to look for. Uh, some key questions such as uh, ISO 22301, Disaster Recovery Institute uh, has the uh, professional guidelines. And and that covers, you know, gives people some idea, but there has to be a program manager, a project manager again, uh, who has, hopefully, business continuity uh, background. And if they don't, they should be bringing a consultant in to at least advise them. Because without understanding, having a background in it the first time, it's very easy to Look at areas that should not be included without saying hey this is this is this is going way out we don 't need to go yeah. to these areas and, and so in this case, I have to say experience is definitely an important area you know to know who approves them you know and, and that 's one of the key questions you have to ask when you 're starting who 's going to approve these after we go through and come up with these risks before we before you start doing any planning or anything on the risk they have to be evaluated and it's interesting, ISO 22301 says that management has to review them, review the risk assessment before any other steps go forward to see if this in target with what we're looking at. Where are, the, you know, where, are the, where are the areas? So it's an interest. Now, they're not saying each and every one, but they need a summary. They need to be involved in that process. So, you know, the, um, and, and, you know, as, as far as key questions to ask the departments, I usually say, you know, if critical personnel are not available. What would be the impact?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, if if uh, uh, if an impact, and again, we have the risk, which is identifying our vulnerabilities, and then if that risk happens,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, if, if we have if that sorry, if the vulnerability happens, what's the impact? Right. And, you know, it's interesting because the definition of in business continuity, we use the risk assessment phase the way we're saying, and we use the um, impact analysis, and it's confusing for people when they get into uh, personnel from emergency management from cybersecurity, because what they define risk as is the vulnerability times the probability times yes, I'm, the impact equals the risk.
1: I was going to uh, ask about that. You know, is there a way? Yeah, of... Yeah,
2: how, how do it's you evaluate Different it? terminology. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it, and it essentially it makes perfect sense as you're going through saying, okay, you know, what's the – these are vulnerabilities that might happen. Well, you know, if I'm living in New York City, the chance of my having a sandstorm are pretty slim. So I don't need to plan for that. Mm-hmm. But I do need to plan for storms. I do need to plan for some natural events. Uh, and, you know, New York City is on three faults. So you know, And at some point, people say, well, we don't need to really worry about an uh, earthquake in New York because it hasn't happened yet. There was a book written many years ago by Chuck Scarbo. Uh, he is, is a uh, uh, newscaster, and it was called uh, Earthquake. And in there, all the television lines and everything are down. And he had to hire runners to go around in the book, the story to go around to people's homes, you know, to reach them, because there was no way, and it, it was an earthquake and such, and it was dealing about, you New know, York New York being on three falls, and people, so at some point, people need to consider that if, from a building point of view. Is our building secure? You know, what are we going to do? You know, can we mm-hmm. handle this? So, but, you know, within reason. I mean, obviously, it's not something that happens every day in New York.
1: Right.
2: So, but, you know, again, the summary of the risk, I'm finishing my um, MBA in... Uh, risk management and just doing, all I have left is the dissertation. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's for most areas other than business continuity, disaster recovery, you know, the definition of risk is um, the vulnerability times the probability of it happening times the impact, mm-hmm. you know, and that is, that's your risk number, if you will, and that helps you prioritize which risk to work on first Which areas are most critical? Which vulnerabilities are most important? Does that answer your question or did I?
1: And I guess you validate that by what you said earlier with reviewing by management, maybe lower management, mid-management, and then getting the seal of approval, I guess, from senior management saying, yes, these risks do address our concerns.
2: Absolutely. And, and, you know, it was interesting as people forget to go to senior management who have – been in the, that organization possibly for a very long time, and may know some additional risks that the firm may not know. Perhaps they're going to be, true. Uh, you know, maybe they've had problems in the history of the organization that they haven't publicized, and maybe that's something to consider.
1: That's true, yeah. They, they could have some insight that uh, others would not be aware of.
2: You know, and even hot sites, people go to hot sites saying, well, we know what's going to be there, no problem. Um, there have been cases around the world where a hot site was signed, everything was there, and the hot site itself was out of business during the time because they themselves um, had not uh, prepared well. You know, so knowing where those hot sites are, where in the world they are, you know, especially when you're dealing internationally, you know, somebody needs to actually know exactly where that hot site is, not just somebody saying, we have something.
1: That's true, yeah. In history. So once you have all those risks identified, and let's say everybody has approved them, um, you know, the different levels of management, you, you've got your risk rankings, you know where to focus on, what's the mm-hmm. next step?
2: Now you're doing your impact analysis. And, you know, the and impact analysis... what does that analysis, entail? Well, the impact analysis is uh, looking at how long you can be out, what would happen if you're out two days, three days, four days. Uh, I usually break it down to simple terms of 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, one week, or 30 days. Uh, obviously, as like I said, if you're working with a hospital or a trading firm, you're going to be going down, you know, to minutes in some cases for the hospitals. But, you know, and, you know looking at the risk, uh, going back to the risk assessment, can you still function? You know, can the operation continue if there's no access to the data center? Can the operation continue if there's a strike? And What's the impact if the mm-hmm. property is lost? What can we do? Uh, you know, and when you're putting together the management reports, you know, the management understands what they're looking at, um, it, it's about do we need to plan for this or is this something that's probably not going to happen? And if it does, it's mm-hmm. cheaper for us just to be out for a day. True, because you know, that's so an, an option, we, we, right? We, uh, of course, and doing nothing is an option. Yeah, it is an option, and, and you know, it, it, and you can also decide. Uh, uh, you know, as part of the your, uh, you may say, "Well, this is a this is a huge risk. We have nothing here." But people say, "Well, you know, we we already have uh, three other um, locations in the world that are doing the exact same thing as this location. So if we lose this location, uh, the other." you know, locations can pick up the work. So it's not mm-hmm. as much impact as it would seem when you're first identifying the risk. Right. And so, you know, identifying all that, and again, that goes back to where your project management is. Do you know where your locations are? Do you know where the same operations are being done? You know, and, mm-hmm. and having a project leader is always a a good thing to do, you know, and when you're determining your impact, it's both qualitative and quantitative. So, you know, how much is it going to cost me to be out? What's the loss exposure if I'm out for one week? How much am I going to lose in money? Mm-hmm. All right, well, maybe it's not much. But how much am I going to lose in qualitative public image? I mean, if I was... Facebook was down for a week, uh, you know, it would be a little bit hard for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, we'd get to know our neighbors better, I'm sure.
2: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, you know, it, it would be a, um, uh, you know, but are you going to incur fines? That's a qualitative and a quantitative, but, you know, basically qualitative. Are you, are you as we mentioned before, are you going to have legal issues if you're down? You know, are, are you required to be up for a certain period of time?
1: Well, you, you bring are up you? an interesting point with, because you mentioned Facebook, has social media changed the way people look at risk and BIAs? Because nowadays, you know, you're looking at your brand, your mm-hmm. reputation, everything, and yeah. it can change literally at a snap of a finger. How do you go about trying to figure out that risk or, and that impact?
2: I have seen a number of uh, clients that actually have a social media uh, person as a responsibility. That's their only responsibility for the organization to be monitoring social media to see if there's anything in there negative about them constantly. Mm. And it, it, sounds, it sounds, you know, wow, this is so great. But years ago, they had people scanning the newspapers to see if there was something negative, you know, about them every day. But today right. with the social media, it's so fast, so easy to have them. And it's, uh, what's interesting is uh, one of the, I won't say who, but one of the stores recently had a problem. Uh, which was actually considered in their risk assessment you know, about social media. You may want to add that as a another you know, that's a key risk in that someone had set up a site that looked like theirs hmm. and were offering uh, ads, these free certificates you printed out. You could go to the store and get a huge discount, and people were showing up with these coupons And the store is like, this is not from us. And people are, yes, it is. Yes, it is. So it was becoming an interesting, uh, uh, it was done as a joke, you know, but it wasn't much Mm -hmm. of a joke for the the store. And and so, you know, looking at that, no, it was terrible. It caused terrible problems. So the point is, you know, the social media, uh, and people are using social media too at the time of an event. You want to make sure the employees are not communicating on a public social media page. Hey, we just had a disaster. Hey, we're doing this. Hey, we're doing that. You Mm -hmm. know, because uh, you don't know what caused it. It could have been caused, as I said it may have been an intentional, uh, something that happened to the firm. You know, you don't know why they're always out. You don't know who started that fire of the building. And, you know, making sure that you have a lot of these controls in place, but, you know, going through and doing a, uh, you know, I, I say you have to look at a reasonable standard of care on the impact mm-hmm. analysis. You can keep going forever. Uh, I had done, I I teach, um, well, I used to teach the business continuity certification class, and now I teach the ISO 22301 certification class, and I was teaching it for an organization who said, we're only going to plan the forms to do the what we're going to be doing, just plan the project management for a whole year before we ever start doing the risk assessment. Well, the chances of them having a disaster during that year were pretty high. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, that is not the, a reasonable uh, care. But that's the way their organization decided to do it. They were just going to plan the project management of how they were going to do their, their business continuity program. And this was a major international manufacturing firm that had been in business for many years, but had luckily so, never had a disaster.
1: So they were willing to accept the risk for a year before they actually get yes. started, which actually could be sure longer right. than a year. By the time they it, get a, a, some sort of plan in place, they could have taken an additional I'll just say 6 months 6 months to do Absolutely. the risk in the BIA
2: <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, you know, so that's why I say reasonable care. You know, but looking at what industry best practices are for your industry, you know, what what's what's our, some procedures out there? And you know, making a final review of the BIA, you know, the mm-hmm. a steering committee should look at it. And let's go back to the steering committee. What what I bring on a steering committee when I'm putting together a project for a client, is I find out who are the key areas that they might rely on. And I bring on, as a steering committee, not just executives. That's management. I bring in facilities, legal, human resources. Mm -hmm. Uh, I bring in cyber. I bring in emergency management, who's ever handling that, who can say, hey, you know, you haven't considered this, this, and this. Or these are things that you may not be aware of. You know, you're saying well we can use these other locations, but are you aware of the fact that uh you know if we have a problem here, we're sharing similar telecommunications. You know, we're sharing yeah. we're still sharing the same data center. So although the other location uh is not nearby, we're sharing the same data center. If we're out, they're out. So these are things that I love about a steering committee. And I think it's so important to say where where am I missing? What did I not do? What did I? And I can assure you, as a consultant, I always say, you know, is it, where have we not covered? Where are we? Where are we missing something? Because they know their organization much better than mm-hmm. anybody else coming in the door. And one of the things I do too is I ask uh, internal audit to um, take a look at the process and give some feedback. And in many cases, internal audit's not trained on it, and it's. Training them on how to review it the following year.
1: I learned years ago: make audit your friend.
2: <laughs> yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Well, but beli-
1: also, believe it or not, we've come to the end of our second segment. But uh, I Thank do want to keep keep going on uh, on talking about this BIA stuff. So uh, we've come to the end of our second segment. We're talking with business continuity management expert. And author, Dr. Michael Redmond, and her book, Mastering Business Continuity Management. We'll be right back.
3: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone road.com. Again, that's info at stone road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected.
1: And welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with author and business continuity management expert Dr. Michael Redmond and her book, Mastering Business Continuity Management. Uh, Dr. Redmond, in the uh, first segment, we talked about um, started to talk about risk. In our second segment, we did talk about the risk analysis, the risk assessment, and the importance of the the business impact analysis. And I'm wondering. Um, what your opinion is on some of the, uh, I, I guess, initiatives that are going on right now and discussions about removing the risk analysis and the BIA, uh, you know, from the business continuity management uh, program or, or the the way it's done? Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Well, as somebody who's Finishing their MBA in risk management, I kind of think it needs to be in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll tell you why. Um, you can do all the planning you want. Uh, people plan for vacations all the time. They pack, they go, and uh, they pack the same thing they had the year before. And yet they get on vacation, and you'll always see, after, you know, maybe not each trip, but you'll find somebody who, if they travel the same place five times... At least 20% of that time, they're going to be running out and buying other clothes because the weather's hot, they weren't expecting it, the weather's cold, they weren't expecting it, uh, it, it never rains here, why is it raining all of a sudden? Risk happens, you know, vulnerabilities happen. And if, mm-hmm. unless we know that the organization is vulnerable, and we're not going to figure out how to mitigate it, there could be so many events that we could mitigate uh, such as uh the uh, shoring of a, a building better uh mm-hmm. better awareness training for employees uh, make, uh sandy if they had had uh, if the windows had been reinforced, that bank would have been could have stayed in, in that building mm-hmm. but they weren 't taking into consideration the what if what if what if and without that you know if you just get into doing strategies um Without understanding what you're strategizing against, you know, hey, we lose our building, fine. We do this, we do that. But what is the impact of that building? How long can you be out? 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours? is important to know because if you, many organizations, if they start planning you back and to bring everybody back in 24 hours, it's going to be chaos. Mm-hmm. So I, I truly believe, and, and I have to admit I often do a... Uh, My risk assessment and my impact analysis at the same time. If I'm interviewing someone and I'll say, you know, what what are the vulnerabilities you're most concerned about? Where do you think that there's going to be something happening? I'll say it. I'll say, what would the impact of that be to you? And I keep, if I'm coming with Mm -hmm. a team, I have one person writing the answers to, or you know, keeping documenting the answers to the risk assessment, and I have another person documenting the answers to the uh, the business impact, and then I have a third person documenting. What, what, what do you think we can do about that? And people will come up with some great strategies that if I came out and said to them, well, let's come up with strategies, I'd be losing all that data. So I yeah. do yeah. do the, uh, them simultaneously, but I treat them as separate animals.
1: Yeah, I, I've done that in the past as well, and I found it works rather well. When you do it yeah. together, then people are in the same... Uh, mindset, and they're in the right mindset. Oh, here's our risk. This is what will happen, and here's what we can do. Rather than splitting it up, you know, potentially by months, and then people are kind of get forget, you know, where their responses came from, and it gets all Mm -hmm. confusing for them.
2: Absolutely. You know, they may say, well, you know, we're going to need emergency funds at that time. We're going to need to have a credit limit at a bank that we can just use, just for emergencies so that, you know, every department has a credit card with this much limit, you know, to be able to go out and get incidentals or food or training and such. Uh, you know, and part of that comes down to, uh, you know, testing it and making sure everything works and what happens. And, you know, a test is only as good as uh, how, when you're, you're saying this is what we're going to achieve, if you don't know ahead of time what you want to achieve, you know, what's going to be a passing mm-hmm. for that test or an exercise? Then everybody says, oh, we had a great time. Everybody had a wonderful time. We learned a lot. Well, is it going to work? Is that plan going to work?
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, have, have we, do we have a strategy in place? Uh, you know, we've had major um, problems with disasters happening because of natural events. You know, people weren't planning for it. Storms that weren't happening before, weather changes that weren't happening before. You know, that's
1: right. what, hundred-year what, storms changing? are now ten years?
2: Yes, yes. And so, you know, looking at this, looking at the areas, uh, you know, making sure that there's restoration planning in place. What happens when the stuff is doesn't work? What happens when mm-hmm. our plans didn't work? You know, how do we? Who's going to fix everything? How do we go back and? I do a risk, you know, when I'm doing restoration planning, I go back to the risk and the impact.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: What could have been damaged? So that I have those plans in place. So I already have pre-contracts set up with companies saying, you know what, our windows are going to break if we have this type of storm. We we think we're okay, but we're on the, you know, such and such floor, right, you know, facing uh, in Manhattan, you know, as the example that I gave before. You know, we think we're okay, we think we've mitigated, but if not, you know, who's going to get in here to do the cleanup? Let's get all this together because everybody's going to be trying to get a vendor at the same time. How do we handle that, you know? And, you know, just making sure that everything is documented properly and, um, you know, at the end of it, doing a gap analysis and going back and saying, where do we miss? What do we need to improve? Where do we, where, where do we not do things? And so when you're coming back the second year... And, you know, re-looking, I do agree, re-looking at that risk assessment, re-looking at that impact analysis and seeing what's changed. I think not having it uh, makes the plan um, so you're not, you know, you're not looking at the, uh, you know, what if key people aren't available? Mm -hmm. How are we going to handle that? You know, what if uh, the controllable risk you know, what are the controllable risks? What's beyond our control? What can we not handle? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that, I think the risk assessment impact analysis personally are are extremely important, you know, in understanding uh, that organization because every organization's risk and impact are different. And I realize that, you know, the proponents for this new movement are saying, well, they'll save us a lot of time. We don't have to go back and do it every year. We just have plans. But what are you planning for? Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, you know how.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. Believe it or not, we only have less than three minutes left. Do you have any uh, closing comments you'd like to say about business continuity management?
2: Um, I I think that it's a must for every organization, whether it's small business or large organization. Uh, I think that they, people need to have an expert advising them at least the first time. Uh, I think that there are some great tools out there that to be able to look at different uh, areas for documentation, considering. But I, I encourage each person to you know, get their steering committee together, get their advisors together, and get started.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just get started.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it sounds so simple, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I want to thank you for your time, Dr. Redmond. I really appreciate you joining us and giving us your expertise and sharing with us some some of your previous stories. And congratulations once again on the book, Mastering Business Continuity Management.
2: Thank you very much. I just want to tell people that it's available in Barnes & Noble, that it's available on Amazon in 20 different countries, and uh, I hope that they enjoy it very much.
1: Well, there's a lot of good information. It's not a small book either. It's uh, rather thick. No.
2: So. <laughs> it's very very quick. It took me 5 years to write the book and I had to go because I had finished the book and all of the standards were updated. I had to go back and re-change everything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Risk assessment. <laughs> but I had planned for that. I actually had which is oh, why we good. I had I had was managing the whole time looking for all the new changes and standards.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. Thank you very much for sharing your time. I appreciate it Thank you very much for
2: the opportunity to be on your show. I appreciate it very much.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. And to everybody out there, again, if there's topics or adverts you'd like to um, have on the show, uh, please feel free to send me an email. Don't forget, I will be in Seoul, Korea, at the International Emergency Management Society uh, annual conference in November. And it looks like I will be at Continuity Insights in April in 2020 in San Antonio. And today's show was brought to us by Boast Assessment. Thanks again to Dr. Michael Redmond for participating and agreeing to be on the show. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody.
0: Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.